Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. It's our last message in our Pressure Points series from James about inequities. Dismiss the kids. Yes, of course. And uh, youth, uh, we have big thirst as well. And uh, so those of you that are youth that um, uh, don't usually come on Fridays to our youth program, this is your chance to experience a little bit what youth is like. So Colin's going to meet you in the gym as well. Awesome. Most of you didn't see the five people jumping up and down at the back warning me. We're talking about inequities this morning. And you saw one very glaring inequity that in our culture right now is very, very pronounced. The inequity of pay in our culture. Where equal pay for equal work is a value, it's actually even a law now. But still, the struggle between the pay equity between male and female gender hasn't reached the ideal, has it? I came to learn very early on as a little boy the inequities in life, the inequalities. Uh, My immigrant father worked for a lighting company in Toronto, his first job. And... um, One of the perks, I guess, of that job was to go and hang very expensive chandeliers in the homes of very prominent people in Toronto. And I remember uh, Dad used to take me with him. It usually would be in the evening or on a Saturday, and Dad would take me as his little guy, and uh, I'd go, and I'd hand him tools, and I'd love to go with Dad. I mean, it was always fun to be with Dad. But I remember clearly understanding as a little boy that the houses we were going to were not houses owned by people like people that we knew. These were very different places, large homes, lavish homes with huge foyers, foyers that would engulf our little home, our little modest home in the corner of Eglinton and Keel. And uh, I, I saw clearly as my father interacted with the homeowners and he was installing something. I realized as a little boy, there's, there's, there's an inequality here. They have more, way more than we do. And it was clear for me. We learn so quickly, don't we? Maybe some of you pay attention to the sunshine list that comes out in March. And how our public workers are uh, announced in terms of their six-figure salaries. And you look through that list and you start to realize that, yeah, there are inequalities in our culture. Certain people have a privilege and a status that others don't. You saw there on the screen the gender inequity in culture. The inequality of pay. We have racial inequalities 
in our culture. They're still very visible. Sometimes they're deeply divisive. Even in our mild-mannered country of Canada, they still exist. Our First Nations culture, so uh, intertwined in all of that, and how you see the inequalities that are there as well. We understand that we have the same rights and freedoms. Our charter proclaims it, but day to day, those freedoms don't seem to be lived out fully, do they? And before we even get ahead of ourselves and feeling like we're, uh, we're brushed aside and pressured by inequality, think of the incredible inequality of being a North American and the blessing of being a North American. Even the poorest in North America are richer than most of the people across the world. And you understand that in the kingdom of man, there is an inequality that sets us apart. James says this, three very short verses in chapter one we're gonna zero in on this morning. Believers who are poor have something to boast about because God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them because you see they will fade away like a a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. We're looking at James here, the letter of James, the brother of Jesus, the one who emerges as the leader of the Jerusalem Christian Jewish believers. And in that context, James had this tension that he had to lead with, and that is, The tension was that he knew that as a Jewish Christ follower, he was not appreciated or respected by his greater Jewish countrymen. They were looked down upon, in fact, for being followers of Jesus. In effect, they were viewed as a cult. They were viewed as a marginal group living outside the norms of how they should have been living. And James, on a daily basis, as a pastor, of this congregation is needing to deal with this sense of inequity. The inequity of being Jewish and yet not being recognized as Jewish from his own countrymen. I don't know if you know what that feels like. I remember a story when I was 14. I went to Italy with my parents. And I remember uh, very distinctly that although I was born in Italy, that my cousins and my family members understood that I was not Italian like they were Italian. And it made me upset. It made me so upset that I was gonna prove to them how Italian I was. So then in that month we spent there, I just made it very specifically a point to look like them, to be better at being Italian than them, to do all I could to be uh, clearly Italian. But it didn't work. Because they always said, oh, you're, you look Italian, but you're not Italian. Inequities. What we see here in James, in light of our experience and the evidence of what he even talks about so long ago, is that inequities are an inevitability in the reality of our life right now. They are inevitable. They are there. And as followers of Christ, we need to acknowledge it 
It's the reality that we live in. And James shows the need to address these inequalities. You see it in verse 9, the beginning of verse 9, chapter 1 of James. James felt the need to make it clear that there are the poor and there are the rich. There's a clear inequality. In James's world, it was even clearer on a religious scale. Those that were very religious in the Jewish community were very rich and wealthy because the Romans paid them off to control the area of Judea and keep peace. And in those days, it was very clear the difference between those who had and those who had not. The rich and the poor. And as Christ's community, James was bringing clarity to that for people. Jesus said himself, as he traveled through Judea and Samaria, the poor, he says, you will always have with you. The poor will always be there. You see an attitude of entitlement. The Jewish pious people in James's community who felt entitled to be privileged by the Romans, who felt entitled to live the way they did lavishly with many servants in large homes in the most prominent geographical spaces in Jerusalem. If you go back and visit Jerusalem, you will see where the high priests lived up on a ridge that oversaw the city and the valley, the Kindron Valley, a beautiful spot where all these palatial villages where those privileged religious families lived. And it contrasted on a grand scale the poor that were so very frequented around the temple area looking for handouts, looking for offerings, looking for somebody to help them. The scales were tipped so clearly on one side. And there was a false piety. One of the things that a sense of entitlement gives people is a false sense of their importance. And you see it in our culture. You see it politically, you see it uh, in business, you see it even on your street. Just the sense of privilege and overinflated entitlement. You see, there's lots of evidence in the Bible of inequality. The disciples got caught up in it, didn't they? James and John, the sons of thunder, they were called. Uh, traveling with a rabbi who performed miracles, gave him a sense of privilege. Uh, They asked the Lord, uh, which one of us will be on your right and your left hand in the kingdom? Uh, They were looking for status. They were looking for privilege. And Jesus made it very clear to them that in the kingdom of God, the status is of servant, not of entitlement. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, God encouraged Israel that the poor will always be with them and for that sake, that they would not be stingy in their heart, but they would be generous, not gleaning to the edge of their fields, but leaving some of the harvest for the poor to glean on the edges of their property. God encouraged them to help their neighbor who was in trouble. God encouraged them literally to keep their wallet open Uh, able to help those that would come across in times of need. 
God knew about the inequities. He shared with Israel to be sensitive to the inequities, but they were very real and they were very present. In Luke chapter 22, verse 25, Jesus uh, said to those who were listening, in this world, the kings are great men who lord it over their people and they call themselves the friends of people. There are kings that lord it over the people, but they say that they're friends of people. You see, this is patronizing, isn't it? Patronizing in the sense that I'm your father, it's okay, I will take care of you. It's the kind of attitude that the emperors of Rome had. To come across as looking like the providers and sustainers of the empire, when all along they were feeding off of the public purse and enriching themselves and making their people poor. In our culture, it just seems that there's a disappearance now of the middle class, isn't there? There was a point 30, 40 years ago where the middle class was a very strong, dominant group. And yet, in the uh, polarization of our incomes and our, uh, our culture, the middle class is disappearing. More people are either being pushed into the rich category and either being pushed into the poor category. We are becoming, in many ways, a culture very much like the one James talks about. Our politicians ignore, at times, the needs of our society to protect their own interests. And we get a sense that those inequalities, those inequities that you saw on that news program aren't being addressed. And all of this, all of this puts you and I in a position of angst in our culture. We deal with the inequalities every single day. And I wonder how you feel. I wonder at times if you say to God, God, do you notice this? God, do you see what's happening? Do you see how I get treated at work? I'm a human being. Lord, do you see the inequities at the teller, at the checkout? Do you see the inequities at the gas pump? God, do you see this? Do you see the inequities and the interest rate? Lord, do you see? Are you aware the unfairness of it all, the injustice of it all? Well, the reality is that James reminds his people who are struggling with some of the very same inequities that we feel on a daily basis to remind them that in the end, God will balance out all the inequities in life. God will balance them out. There's this idea of raising and lowering. Look at what he says in the latter half of verse 9 and verse 10. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. In the biblical translation, the message, Eugene Peterson puts it this way, when down and outers get a break, cheer. And when the arrogant rich are brought down, cheer. 
It's quite a translation, isn't it? But God is about bringing balance. God is not a God of inequality. God is a God of equity. God is a God of putting us on the same plane. And the reality here, in terms of what James says, is that God is going to encourage you based on the condition of which you are in. If you are poor, God is going to lift you up. God is going to encourage you. God is going to guide your path and make your future better. That's what James says. And if you're rich, God is going to bring you down. God is going to introduce a, 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 a wave of humility to make you understand what an incredible trust God has given you. It's a privilege to be rich. It's not a right. And yet in our culture, it seems that it is a rite of passage to be rich for some. Uh, in terms of they deserve it. That they should have it. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, as James points it out here, is that being rich is being entrusted with the blessings that God has given all of us. So the richer we are, the more responsible we are for those who do not have. It is the culture of equity that God has established in his kingdom. And in that sense, I can't help but think that as North Americans, even though we see a grade of wealth within our culture, that we do have a huge responsibility of caring for the poor. That in our wealth, our accumulated wealth, that we would remember the poor. That we would have set aside what God has enriched us with that we would realize in humility that we are rich because the Lord has blessed us and not for anything that we have personally done. I know it feels like we did it. I know it feels like we worked really hard. There may be some of you who came and are immigrants, you came to Canada. I think of some that I know that came to Canada, worked really hard, were poor in the beginning, but became very wealthy in the end. I know you worked hard. I know that there were sacrifices But you've got to know that God was there the whole time providing. If God did not give us a world where we could thrive in, we would not be able to thrive. And in that sense, James says, how humble we need to be. Proverbs 10 verse 3 says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. That, that identity of righteous and wicked in the Old Testament really has to do with our proximity to God. What makes somebody righteous? That they live close to God. What makes somebody wicked? That they live at a distance to God. And in terms of our wealth, we can behave like the righteous and have the heart of God, or we can behave like the wicked and feel that we have a right to all the richness that God has given us And God will not forget the righteous in those moments. If there's anything I know, it's this. 
that God has not forgotten the poor. God has not forgotten you in your hard times. I'm sure there's hundreds of stories here today about how God came through to you, for you in your life, in your circumstance. God has always made a way through for those who go hungry. But James reminds us of something else. It's the analogy of the flower here that has a very short lifespan. In fact, in our home, flowers have an incredibly short lifespan because they never get watered. So they're good for a few days and that's about it. But in Psalm 90, it says here, our days may come to 70, 80 years, says the psalmist, if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. James in chapter four says this, life is like a fog. Similar to that flower that fades, the fog is only temporary, but when the sun comes out, it lifts. And our life is exactly like that. And the presumptuous of thinking that we can be in control of anything in such a short span of time, that we are captains of industry and masters of our own domain and uh, controlling the destiny of the world and uh, I don't like to be political uh, on, on the stage, but I've got to tell you that I can say this. When our leaders say that the problems of our world are complicated problems and only the rich can solve them, I say this, how foolish are you, O rich one, of God who has given you the power which he so easily will take away? Because God determines and solves the problems of this world. Not men, not women. And in that sense, we need to live people according to a kingdom that's coming. Why is this so significant for James here in this sense? It's significant because these are Jewish believers who encountered Jesus. And Jesus showed them who the Father was and turned their lives upside down and made them realize that there is a kingdom that's coming that's so different from the kingdom that we live in right now. Jesus tells a story about the kingdom of God in the parable of the worker and the wages. You may know the story, the parable, where the employer went out during the day and he needed workers to work his field. So in the morning, he went to where the workers uh, uh, congregate and he picked up a set of workers and he agreed on a set of wages and he brought them out to the field. He went back in the middle of the day, he gathered up another group of workers, agreed on the fee of what he would pay, brought them to the field and paid them. And at the end of the day, he picked up workers for just a couple of hours and he paid them the exact same wages as he paid the ones that showed up in the morning. Because in the kingdom of God, it's about life mattering. Think about that parable for a minute, would you? Sometimes we think it's so unfair, Jesus, honestly, that the guy who spent or the gal that spent two hours working the fields gets the same pay as the guys and gals that showed up early in the morning. Is that fair, Lord? Well, let me tell you this. What if it was you and you didn't have work and you showed up that morning and nobody was picking you up? Maybe you missed 
the pickup because you had to walk there because you don't have a car. You didn't even have money to buy a ticket for a bus and you made it there, but you made it too late. And it depends on you to put food on the table for your family. And you wait and you wait all day praying, Lord, bring an employer that will employ me. I need to provide for my family. And to find out that you can only put in two hours that day and you make it out to the field discouraged, wondering how can I put food on the table having worked two hours that day only to find out, only to find out that benevolent employer gives you the same pay. How would you feel? Would you argue? Would you argue with the employer that he was unfair? Or would you bawl because of the kindness, because of the generosity? People, that's the message Jesus was telling in that parable. That God is like that. God goes against the culture, our culture, man's culture. It's not about fairness. It's about making sure people have what they need. It's not about elitism. It's living countercultural to those values <coughs> in our kingdom. God will not stand for inequity. God will not stand for unbalanced scales. Proverbs 16.11 says this. The Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards of fairness. He does. Oh, I've got to tell you, if you're an employer this morning, what a great privilege God has given you to employ other people and give them a livelihood so that they can take care of their families and their children. What a privilege is that? And it shouldn't be a burden. And it shouldn't be something you resent. But it should be an incredible privilege to think that God has blessed me so much that I can employ people and let them have a living and a sense of dignity and provide for their families. That's how the Lord sees it. In Luke chapter 22, the words of Jesus, a warning to us who are rich to be careful because it leads us down a path of believing that we actually have control, that we actually can predict our future, that we actually can secure our future. There's an incredible scene in Revelation chapter 18. It's the scene where the great city of Babylon falls. And I don't know if you've read it recently, but it's worth reading. You see, Babylon in Revelation is representative of the power of man's kingdom. And all the merchants, and all the business people, and all the lenders of money thrived off of Babylon because of her wealth. And as the city falls and it's burning and being destroyed, the merchants and the rich and the business people are crying in their boats as they see Babylon falling because they say to themselves, who shall we do business with in the future? Who shall we trade with? If Babylon is not there, how will we survive? And people, the reality is, is that Babylon is such a superficial structure. Babylon, the kingdom of man, is such a house of cards. 
I worked in an emergency ward for seven years. And there's no more evidence of equality in our culture than when somebody comes in hanging on by a thread of life. I've seen many people on a trauma table and I'll tell you this right now that their riches weren't able to save them. Their elitism or status wasn't able to save them. I heard more people cry out to God on a trauma table. Atheists, wealthy, poor, arrogant. It's such a house of cards, isn't it? I know we need pensions. I know we need to put money away. It's just being responsible. There's even a parable about it. (laughs) But if we think, if we think that it can secure our life forever, then it's built on Babylon that will fall. The vision of John is that the kingdom of man will fall and the kingdom of God The kingdom of God will prevail. There's that wonderful moment in Revelation where it says so clearly that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. And in that kingdom, Paul says, is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord, he says. Clarity. Equality, sameness. There's that wonderful passage in Romans, chapter 11, verse 32, that God rendered us all over to sin so that he might have mercy on us all. He doesn't distinguish between rich. He doesn't distinguish between poor. All of us, all of us, are dead because of our sins, but all of us have been made alive because of Christ. And no bank account and no amount of wealth will ever, ever, ever give us that. So how should we live then as God's people? We should live in such a sense where God's principles of equality rule where men and women can work together in the workplace with a sense of honor and dignity towards each other, seeing each other as equal. And I know you're going to say, Luch, I I go to work and it's not like that, but the reality is, is that the kingdom of God is in you. And what 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 do the New Testament writers tell us? They tell us, do not repay evil for evil, but Live the law of Christ. Repay evil for good. For good. You want to stop evil? You want to stop inequity in its tracks? Start treating everybody equally. You want to stop unfairness in its tracks? Start doling out generosity to everybody. You want to stop the prevailing culture of man then live out the culture and the kingdom of Christ. I'll tell you right now, it will be noticed in such incredible ways. Because even now our culture has even lost senses of decency. 
And like it was in James and Paul's and Peter's day, is like it is today, that sense of decency lost in the Roman Empire, where people were looked down on, people were used as commodities, people that were sick were thrown out in the streets, uncared for. That what made people recognize Christianity was because those believers, early believers, were just simply decent. They were just simply decent. And no matter who lay on the street, they brought them into their homes and they nursed them and they cared for them and they brought them back to health. Because that's what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. So do you feel pressure this morning? Do you feel the pressure of inequities out there? Remember, we are all equal before God regardless of our status or our position in life. All of us are the same. And it's this that should govern our lives. Let me say something in conclusion that's really important to you and I in this period of time. I don't know how you feel about the sale of our building. But I gotta remind you something. That what sets us in terms of relationship with God isn't whether we have a building or not. What makes us great as God's community isn't whether we have a space or not. Do you understand that for three to 400 years of the church's life, there were no church buildings? You understand that they met in homes, they met in the, or, uh, the orange groves, and they met in places where they could meet and fellowship together and gather together? And do you understand that it's that community that almost won an entire empire for God? That at the time the Emperor Constantine rises to power in Rome, it's thought that 60% of the empire was Christian. How does that happen? It didn't happen by building buildings. It didn't happen by followers of Jesus having status. In fact, they had no status. It happened because they believed that there was a kingdom that had value, that everybody mattered, that changed an entire empire. And if that can happen then, why can't it happen now? Why can't it happen now? We are not building poor. We are life enriched with Christ. And I want you to get that this morning as Portico Discovery. I want you to realize the depth of this. You are not being looked down on by God because of the circumstances, geographically. You have been given the kingdom of God that is alive in your heart right now. And you can live it in our culture and show people the difference of what it's like to serve Jesus. I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you came today and you don't know Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is the one that will ensure that when you take your last breath and your riches won't help you, that he will walk you over the chasm of death 
into the new life with him. And you'll be able to walk with him with your new life, your full life, your life of eternity. He says, and he calls it eternal life. And if you want that this morning, it's yours. It's yours. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I give my life to you and live out his kingdom. That's your calling. That's his desire for all of us. That's what brings us together, back together every Sunday, every morning, to remember that this was the morning that Jesus rose from the dead and he showed us that the impossible can be possible. And we meet every Sunday morning knowing that we will live again. Even though we die, we live again. And you can have it too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder through your faithful servant, James, that, Lord, you are the Lord of life. You, Lord, hold our lives in your hand. We are living and breathing right now because you put the breath into our bodies. And that God, what has happened in the kingdom of man over the centuries and centuries of human history has taught us something, Lord, that you never wanted for us, that we would be unequal, that there would be categories and classes of distinction and indistinction and that there would be rich and that they would be poor. And, and Lord, that is all the result of the kingdom of man, the broken kingdom that we have built. But God, your kingdom, there's no inequality. In your kingdom, there's no inequity. Lord, you, through Jesus Christ, have guaranteed to us in this very short period of life that we can have eternity as you have always wanted it for us if we simply embrace you, Lord. God, for those who came this morning and don't know you, haven't put their trust in you, God, I pray today that they will put their trust in you and begin a life of living out your kingdom. A life that will lead them to eternity with you. God, by your Holy Spirit, I know that you will do the work because it is your desire, Lord, for us to be in your house. That in your house there are many rooms and all we need to do, Lord, is respond to you. Oh God, help us respond to you today, Lord, in such a way that as we heard your words this morning, that we would live, Lord, stopping evil in its tracks, living, treating others as equal, treating others as the same, treating others as worthy of your love, treating others as worthy of your grace. Oh God, help us, Lord, in a culture that does the opposite.
give us by your strength and your Holy Spirit, Lord, the ability to live differently. God, thank you for your words this morning. We commend them, Lord, in your name to our hearts and our minds. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.